just like to mess with the sound guys. Having a miniature heart attack. We knew we had it working. Welcome back to Sunday night. Glad that you're here. For those of you who were not looking upward, you didn't get that joke. And to all of you listening to the podcast, it was just, I brought the house down with that one. Uh, I want to point out to our kind of a core crowd on Sunday night, as you probably know of Harvest Sunday, have seen all the advertisements and reminders and whatnot. Uh, I want to point out something that we did when we passed out these magnets many months ago. And I'm so I'm sure you have a stockpile of food that you've been saving now for three months. But at the very top of that magnet, uh, it says fresh and frozen meat. And that's something we're doing that's new this year. So if you're a hunter, you want to bring us a deer, I don't know. If you, but if you have, seriously, beef or chicken or even steak or whatever you want to do, uh, it, it says fresh or frozen, and we can do either one. I will tell you, we have more freezer space. So if you can bring it in frozen form, that'd be great. But, you know, often we do the non-perishable stuffs. This year we have made an arrangement to clear out the freezer space that we have and we'll have, you know, signs directing down that way. So if next Sunday you're able to and desire to bring beef or chicken or whatever, uh, and you uh, just bring that and let the guys know that that's in there, don't just hand it to them in a bag because it'll get put up here and that'll be awkward for everyone. Uh, so please, please, if you can, uh, add some protein to the list. That'd be great. And we have uh, a little bit of storage for that in the back and we'll be... Uh, uh, utilizing that. So we're, it's a great thing. You probably just can't see the reality of it, but they fill B7, uh, quite full from the donation from Harvest Sunday. We're going to do some other exciting things too. So just a reminder about that. You can grab one of these magnets or the list. Uh, all of those are available at the information booth in the foyer. Uh, but hopefully again, you probably, I'm, I mean, a Sunday night crowd, I'm sure your trunks are already full of food. Ready to go for next Sunday. So, uh, great. Thank you. Uh, appreciate all the help and the support for Carpenter Place, as Ben talked about this morning in class. Truly a great work. And in the name of the Churches of Christ, I cannot, I can think of few better, uh, than the work that they do that's 100% privately funded. So, it's, a, a wonderful effort and we appreciate our partnership and support uh, with Carpenter Place. On Sunday nights, we've been going through a journey with John. As we get close to the end of uh, the book, we're tonight in John chapter 17. Uh, and thank you to Steve for filling in for me in the past several weeks. Uh, my understanding is in two Sunday nights, he filled you in and taught you everything you need to know about the Holy Spirit forever. So that's, I'm glad the pressure's off. We uh, just, if you need to know anything about the Holy Spirit, you got those two weeks. Now, I, I realize it was a lot of ground to cover in a short period of time. So thank you to him for, for doing that. And certainly we know when we talk about the Holy Spirit, hard to even touch the hem of the garment. My question for you tonight as we begin is this. How do you react when you get really, really stressed? It's interesting. They've done studies about how people react and process stress and some people are yelling they get really angry and loud and you know woke some of you up i mean they that's how they do it they process stress you know they'll hit things and yell and i mean they're just it comes out in all sorts of physical manifestations other people 
when they get stressed, they get real quiet. And everything that the other ones did outwardly, they do inwardly. I mean, they, this is really bad. If you have a parent that's like this, especially like mom, like if you have a mom that you know she's, like she's getting real quiet and all of a sudden you start getting stressed, um, people process it like that. Some people, when they get stressed, they need to be around other people. They gotta verbalize it. They gotta talk through it. They gotta work through it with someone else. And pr- the more people, the better. Others, when they get stressed, they need to be alone. People stresses them out. And adds to the stress of the situation. Um, I'm, I'm an alone solitude kind of guy. When I get stressed, I get quiet. Um, I'm not sure how it is for you or your spouse or your children. But it is very telling to see how people react in times of stress and especially the extreme, the, the life, the heart kind of stuff. I mean, the, the, when you, this is the real stuff, not just, you know, traffic and, and, and bills and job stress, but I mean real life or death, eternal kind of stuff. How do you react? Tonight, in John chapter 17, we get to see how Jesus reacted under one of those times. Several, well, it's been a couple of months ago now, you know we moved from one house to another. The move was not that far. It was just a little over a mile but as with any move, there's lots of stress, lots of things to do, lots of little things you got to think about. And we had thought about, well, do we just want to hire, you know, two guys in a truck and let them take our stress for it? Or do we want to, you know, impose upon our friends, test the limits of our friendship, and ask them to come help? And so we chose the latter. And we had several folks from our small group that came with trucks and trailers, and helped us to begin the process of moving. And so I, we had a lot of the stuff packed up, ready to go, and it was just a matter of emptying out the rooms and going through this and that. But there were little things that happened along the way. Um, we got to the kitchen. We didn't have very much. Everything was cleared off, but I opened, somebody opened up the cabinet doors and said, what do we do with this? I mean, none of the, the cabinets had not been emptied at all, and all of the preparation we were ready in that room, so it was just like, oh, man, okay, just grab a box and start loading. Uh, we had to move the fridge, which was one of the last things we had to do. And, um, you know, we moved the fridge out, and I turned the water uh, to the ice maker off, start to unscrew it. And, uh, you know, as I'm unscrewing it, there's a little bit of water that drips out, which I think, you know, there's water in the line, no big deal. And uh, with one quarter turn, there was a baptismal pool in my kitchen. There was a fountain free for you and me. Let us haste to its brink. Um, that was, I mean, that was the, I was at the height of stress in that moment. And I was, I was just really up to here. And I, and I said only the words that I had to say. And otherwise, I just was like, close my mouth and move this box and get it in the trailer and let's get through this. I was stressed. And 
Everybody thinks when they go through stress that no one else can tell, but everybody else can tell. And our, our small group, our closest friends, said, oh, we saw the real Toby, which is very humbling. What's the real you like in those moments? The beautiful part of John chapter 17 is uh, Jesus turned out pretty well. Um, I started to call this lesson the sponge prayer um, because, and you may have heard of this illustration or example before, but a sponge, you know, you, it's really hard to know if it's dry or what's in it until you squeeze it. When you squeeze it, then you see what's on the inside. In Jesus' life, he is being squeezed. I mean, on every level. He's being in John chapter 17. They finished up his last meal. And he's squeezed physically. Uh, He is has imparted his final instructions to the twelve, and he's being squeezed relationally. He's given them all the teaching and knowledge and wisdom that he knows that they're ready to bear. He's got a lot more to tell them, but he knows they're not ready for it. The Holy Spirit's going to have to do that. He's being squeezed theologically. He has nothing more to impart. There will be no more stories, no explanations. There will be no great authoritative teaching He's being squeezed. Judas is left to bring the soldiers. The, the 11 remaining are exhausted. They're not even being any good support. He's being squeezed. If you could view Jesus internally, he is absolutely dry, probably, getting close from the squeezing, from the stress. We're told that he sweat as he sweats. There's like drops of blood, and you've probably heard this, but the, there's actually a medical condition from severe stress as the capillaries under the skin begin to burst, and the blood from your capillaries begins to pour out through your sweat glands. Jesus was absolutely being squeezed, and and as he has no one around him, no disciples, none of the closest eleven, they're exhausted and sleeping. As he looks across the Kidron Valley, as the the, the environment is completely dark, you realize that it's come full circle. That it's just he and the Father. The last three years of ministry have achieved what Jesus desired to achieve, what what God sent him to do. But as the evil one puts the pressure of the sin and the weight of the world that he's about to bear and squeezes him, the response of our Savior, the response of the Messiah, is to go to his knees And let himself be poured out. As we look at this prayer, please, please don't forget the way in which Jesus is being wrung out. These words that he pronounces are heavy. 
with grief and sorrow and stress and difficulty, John chapter 17, as we think about how Jesus was poured out, we're going to look at this in three sections tonight as he was squeezed. We want to think about how this might apply in our own lives and the lessons which Jesus taught to impart as the Spirit relayed these lessons to John. John chapter 17, we're going to read uh, in totality verses 1 through 26, but for right now I want to turn to verses 1 through 5 and read those as we begin. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. In this moment of squeezing, in this moment of isolation, in this moment of fear and stress and wonder and begging with God, even according to Luke saying... If there's any way, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. And yet, how does he begin the prayer? He begins in adoration. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And knowing what he was to face, Jesus understood that even as he faced it, even as he was squeezed, His entire purpose was to glorify the Father who had sent him. He begins in beautiful, sweet, very sincere adoration of God. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He was still focused on God's holiness and God's glory. And he wanted us to do the same. It's tempting. It's tempting, very tempting when you're squeezed. To let it become all about you. In fact, the world does quite a good job of encouraging that because it's, it's sort of in vogue to be the victim now. You're a victim and when it's someone else's fault, look what other people have done to you. Jesus didn't go that route, did he? He said, no, Father, let me glorify your name through this. May we take that attitude through our Struggles and our trials, our temptations, as we come to a point where we struggle, where we're squeezed, may we glorify the Father and may we glorify His Son. He recognizes His Father's authority, His ultimate authority, His sovereignty, we might say. He he recognized, see, Jesus had that authority, but He laid it down. In becoming flesh, he set aside his glory. He he stepped in and he put on our flesh. 
And when he did so, he, he humbled himself, Philippians 2 tells us. And so when he was on earth, the authority, the power, everything that he received and was able to do was not from himself, but from God. He had to depend fully on God for those things. Remember as we studied through John, what John the Baptist said earlier in John chapter 3? John chapter 3 verse 27, John said, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. We think about what a humbling position for Jesus to be in. To, to set aside his glory and his power and to, to come down in human form and to depend fully on the Father for everything that he had. For everything that he would do and be able to teach and the, the, the miracles and all of that. He, he depended upon the Father for those things. And so even here, Jesus says, listen, it's not about me. It could have been very tempting. I'm sure the, the tempter was there working on him. But he said, it's not about me, it's about you. We glorify God by completing the work that he has for us to do. Um, somebody wrote this down. It wasn't me originally, but I don't know who. You know, I believe in life. I have been put on this earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now I am so far behind I may never leave this earth. And I know it's kind of funny the way it's said. I, I do believe that some, some point in time God looked at the way things were and made an intentional, eternal decision that the world needed one of you. That he needed what you would bring. Joy, love, happiness, grace, forgiveness, mercy, hope. I don't know. He said, the world needs a little bit more of this and created you. I also believe, and we're told later in Scripture, that we, he, that we are his handiwork, his masterpiece, created to do the things that he had prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that cool? That God has purpose for us, and, and God had purpose for Christ. Now, we understand that, but what's cool here is Jesus, at the point of being squeezed, at the point of being just absolutely feeling like he must have felt like everyone had abandoned him, did not forget his father had not abandoned him. And that his father still had one final thing for him to do. Which is our hope. Which is our... You have purpose. And the purpose is what you were created by God to do uniquely that no one else can do. The weird thing is that you and I get to choose. We get a choice every single day whether we're going to live on purpose we're going to live for his purpose. And whether we're going to let that purpose pour out through us. Jesus was determined from the, I believe, the moment he came into the world to the moment he left, that he was doing the Father's will. The focus was not about him, what he lost, 
the, the, the trial, the agony, all of the stuff we're going to get to here in the next chapter. It wasn't about any of him. It was all about the Father's purpose. So my question is, when you're squeezed, when things get difficult, when people abandon you, how do you let God's glory shine in that? That's what Jesus did. He knew his purpose, and he didn't stray from that purpose. Then he prays, starting verse 6, for the disciples' story. Uh, Jesus knew that the twelve were given to him by the Lord, by his Father. And he had a purpose, just as he had a purpose in Christ, he had a purpose with each of the twelve. And he was, as Jesus as their rabbi, as their teacher, as their leader, had a level of stewardship, if you will, to take Simon Peter, a rough fisherman who is speaking his mind far more than he should, and to transform that energy and enthusiasm and zeal and that mouth into a preacher. That Jesus saw within them, not just who they were, but who God had purposed them to be. Read with me in verse verse 6. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, they know that everything you have, uh, that you have given me, comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. In the moment, Jesus, as he was very righteously or rightly could have felt abandoned, did not feel abandoned because they knew those, he understood those disciples weren't his disciples. That they were given to him by God himself. And his job was to make them, to improve them and to teach them and to prepare them for the kingdom work that God had for them to do. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And glory has come to you, has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they, they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them 
For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. As Jesus considers the twelve, the eleven of whom are with him, and by the way, sleeping, okay, um, imagine that uh, Mike says to you all, you know, so we've got a youth group of 80 teens, but, but I want to take, and he chooses 12 of you, because I really see great potential in you, and I believe God's called you in a special way. And, and he takes you, on, and, and you, you do amazing things, and you get special projects and special treatment, and he teaches you things that... Uh, he doesn't teach just everybody else. And he tells weird stories that no one understands that he gets to explain to you later. And he says to you, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you, I'm going to make you do what I do. And you do this for three years. And then, for some reason, he says, i, I got to go. i got to leave. I'm going to leave you to do what I do. And, and then and that last night that he's with you, You've shared all these memories, all these stories, and you guys are just so full from those nachos you just had at the Devo. You just go over in the corner and you fall asleep while he's talking. He's like, I really want you guys to go pray with me. You're like, oh, we have to go pray with you again? And he starts praying and you try to pray, but all of a sudden you hear the sound of snoring. And Imagine how Mike would feel in that moment. He had shared himself and poured himself into you. He could be the victim, but he doesn't. Jesus says, Father, I know they're exhausted. They've been through a lot. Here's what I need you to do for them, Father. And he prays for them three things that are really cool. Even though in that moment they were not there for Jesus, Jesus was completely there for them. I love this. First, he begins by praying for their protection. He prays for their protection. As I read that verse, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, I know I've been talking to you, but I'm going to say something in here in in just a second that you can't understand yet. You have no idea yet what it's like to love someone so much and to know that there is evil that has a target on them, that wants them, that wants the ones that you love the most. Your parents understand that, especially as you get closer to college. And they realize that there are evil forces out there that are going to use people Try to bring you down. And they love you so much, and yet they realize they can only protect you for so long. At some point, you have to choose to do what's right. 
A good question that comes from this section is, why didn't he just take them with him? He absolutely could have, couldn't he? I mean, can he just, you know, all right, we're out of here, guys. You know, just lightning flash and they're, they're gone. The answer is because Jesus was nearing completion of his work, but the disciples had not yet finished theirs. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit still had work for them to do. He still had something that they had yet to achieve and accomplish. They weren't ready to even begin yet. They were going to be his witnesses. Protection, by the way, is not the absence of trials. Um, I think it's, it's, it's giving trials at the exact right time. Eventually, all 11 of these disciples would face martyrdom. But that wasn't going to happen tonight. They weren't ready for it because they were being protected. Um, the best way I can, I can explain what I think in the study of this idea of protection is this. Um, when we moved into the home that we're in now, it was full of these outlet covers. The, the, every single outlet had a plastic cover on the top and on the bottom. Now, we're at the stage we don't need that with our children. So, you know, it's kind of annoying. You go to plug something, it's like, ah, that cover in there, try to get it off. Why did the previous owners have covers on that? Because they had young grandchildren, and they'd come over. Okay? You say, well, you know, that two-year-old will learn the power of electricity if you just let him stick a knife in there one time, right? Yeah, two-year-old's not ready for that. doesn't have the, the wisdom enough. Okay? But by the time our kids got in there, okay, a 7- and 12-year-old should understand the danger at each socket. And so we can pull those off because we understand that they understand there's danger there. Jesus, when we think of, sometimes we, we wish that he would just, I mean, we pray for that a lot. And I, it's not that I don't think we shouldn't pray for protection. We just need to understand correctly what protection really means. Protection does not mean that Jesus wants the church to be this beautiful, euphoric bubble where, where no evil comes in. We all just live in perfect harmony. No, protection means that he protects us at the point where we're not ready for that temptation, that trial, that difficulty. But that he trains us and that he grows us and he matures us till we get to a point where we're ready. Okay. So he didn't he said he wanted not he wasn't going to pull them out of the world, but he wanted to prepare them for the world. So we need to understand that too. The protection does not always mean that if we ask God for protection, that does not mean that we are promised trouble-free, problem-free life. It, it is not hakuna matata. Okay. The Christian life means, you know, we've heard this before, in the world but not of the world. And as we're in the world, we're protected from the world to a point in which we're ready and mature enough to, to choose and to decide and to be wise enough to, to not be of the world. Um, 
if you give, if you allow someone too much trial too early, they'll despair. They'll give up. I mean, they'll, they'll just be burned up. I mean, they just won't be able to to withstand what they're facing. Uh, the other end of that, if you give someone no trials, if you protect them from everything, they'll be immature and likely very selfish. Because they'll always live, have, their only experience will be in this protected little bubble that they lived in and they never faced any trial. So from a parenting perspective, you've got to find that balance. Just enough protection, but not too much protection. That's exactly what Jesus is praying for. Just enough protection, not too much protection. Jesus, not in John, but he did say, you need to be as shrewd as serpents, but as innocent as doves. We've got to learn how to work and get along and, and do what's right in the world, but we have to understand the evils out there and learn how to survive in it. So he prayed first for protection. Then he prayed next for the joy. Um, Verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. We We understand that that's not the same as happiness. Joy is a deeper rooted thing than happiness. Happiness, you know, the root word, like happy, happenstance, comes and it goes. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go through happiness and sadness and anger. I mean, happiness is just one emotion. Joy is the deeper foundational thing, right? Um, I, I'm not a huge sports person, but, you know, watch the World Series with many of you. And... Um, Whichever team you pick, the Dodgers or the Astros, you went through your highs and your lows, right? Like when they got the home run, and you, you know, you watch those guys run around, you were excited and you were ecstatic and you were happy. But that could be a very different emotion the next inning, when they don't play as well, when they when they when they miss those plays. So happiness comes and it goes. And on our journey. We're going to have times when we're happy, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We're going to have times when we have deep sadness, too, and anger, and doubt, and fear. Joy, if we think about, back to the World Series analogy, is understanding that you may win and lose the game. You may win this game, lose that game, but the series is yours. The victory is yours. Don't don't give up. Don't lose sight. If you stick with Jesus, the victory is yours. Regardless of how the game goes. Regardless of how that particular inning goes. It's the best way I can do with a subject that I'm not intimately familiar with. So keep your joy. Don't lose your joy. And, And there's a lot of temptations to give up your joy. And the disciples were certainly going to face a lot of those. But all they had to do was remember the empty tomb. All they had to do was was hearken back to anchor and to ground themselves in Jesus. And they could keep their joy. Finally, he prays for their sanctification, to be set apart. And he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Isn't that cool? 
that, that every time we read his word, he's doing something. These words are powerful enough to set us apart in our thinking, in our behaviors. They didn't have this. They wouldn't have this for a long time later. What they got to remember was his actual words that he spoke into them, the truth that he gave them. Um, This is what you got last week. I hope John chapter 16, verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more now than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's going to remind them of all the lessons, all the stories, all of the the, the right things to write down, to put in this word for our instruction. So he prays for their protection. He prays for their joy. He prays for their sanctification through the word. And as his word and as the spirit guided them into that word, they would be set apart. They'd be different, be not of the world, even though they were still in it. And finally, he prayed for us. Um, we are, <laughs> it's interesting that I quoted John sixteen twelve because that's kind of where I feel like I'm at now. I have much more to say that, to you now, but much more than you can bear. Um, we are out of time, and I don't want to belabor you uh, with all of this wonderful content I have, so I'm just going to quit at John chapter 17, uh, verse 20, and uh, we'll jump back into it another time. He prayed for you. Before, and you've heard the saying, while he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Well, that's true, but it's also true that before he was at the cross, you were on his mind. He prayed for the disciples, and he also prayed for us. In the moment where Jesus could have been so selfish and so self-centered, and Lord, it's you know all about me, he was thinking, of everyone else and what they would face as he went to the cross, as he went through the mockery of a trial, as he hung on the cross, and even as they waited for the tomb to open, as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come on the day of Pentecost. He knew there was a lot of waiting involved, and so he didn't want them to give up. This prayer tonight was about not giving up, about understanding that we need to to be rooted and grounded in joy, in the joy of Christ. If you haven't taken this step of following Jesus and you're ready to do that tonight, we'd love to help you with that. Or maybe you're a disciple of Christ and you've lost your joy. You've forgotten what it's all about. You've lost your hope that Jesus first put in you at some point. And you need to repent. You need to come back. You need to turn back to him. Uh, Whatever you might have a need for doing, uh, please come now as together we stand and sing.